0: Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit, hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit saymythyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And in this Q&A episode, I am going to answer the question, in addition to a thyroid panel, what other tests do I recommend to my patients? So what I'm going to do here, I am going to just spend a few minutes going over some of the blood tests I commonly recommend and then talk about some of the specialty tests, so additional tests, non-blood tests that I commonly recommend. So before I do that, I do want to bring up the thyroid test that I commonly recommend. So I... Always recommend a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. And I like looking at the free hormones, free T3, free T4. Recommend looking at the antibodies. So the antibodies associated with Graves' disease are thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins, which is a type of TSH receptor antibody. And then there's thyroid peroxidase or TPO antibodies, as well as anti-thyroid antibodies. Reverse T3, I can't say I recommend to everybody especially those with hypothyroidism, usually it's elevated. So in the past, I used to recommend it to everybody. Now it's mainly those who have hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's. And then as far as other blood tests, so going down the list, pretty much everybody, I recommend vitamin Z in the form of 25-hydroxy or 25-OH vitamin D. A lot of people are vitamin Z deficient. Arguably, most people are vitamin D deficient if they're not supplementing with vitamin Z. And then I recommend a full iron panel. So some doctors will just look at a complete blood count, which is also something I recommend, which I'll mention briefly in a minute or so. But you can't determine an iron deficiency by looking at a CBC. You can get an idea of an iron deficiency sometimes, but you need to do a full iron panel. Some doctors will just do a serum iron. Some doctors will do a ferritin, but I recommend serum iron, ferritin, iron saturation, as well as TIBC, total iron binding capacity. Vitamin B12, I commonly recommend. Usually serum B12, although arguably urinary methylmalonic acid is more accurate. It's just that a lot of doctors won't do that. And a number of people are trying to go through a doctor to get a test. And that being said, if serum B12 is low, then the person probably is low. It's just that if it looks good, it doesn't rule out a deficiency. And then I mentioned CBC, complete blood count. I always recommend a complete blood count with differential, comprehensive metabolic panel, lipid panel. Many times people have already had these tests, and if they're recent and they look good, then I won't order them again, at least not right away. I mean, I think most of the tests I just mentioned, especially vitamin D and the CBC, complete comprehensive metabolic panel, lipid panel, those are tests that you want to do at least once a year if someone's deficient in vitamin D or if they have other imbalances, let's say a CBC is not perfect, if there's some positives, positive findings, then you might want to do it sooner than later, do a retest sooner than later. And then hemoglobin A1C, I commonly recommend fasting insulin, HSCRP, which is high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is an inflammatory marker, homocysteine, which when elevated, it's a cardiovascular marker, uh, increases cardiovascular risk and also could relate to what's called methylation, which is a type of phase two detoxification. So you don't want elevated homocysteine. I had elevated homocysteine. Good news, you can nutritionally support it if you do have it elevated, but you won't know if you don't test for it. And then as far as other tests, the ones I just mentioned are the more common ones, But there are other ones I will sometimes recommend looking at the immunoglobulins, immunoglobulin A, also known as IgA, and then IgG, IgM, which relates to the immune system, sometimes uric acid, sometimes nutrients like RBC magnesium, RBC zinc, sometimes serum copper. We could look at RBC copper and sex hormone binding globulin, leptin, prolactin, The sex hormones. I do like dried urine testing for sex hormones, which I'll talk about soon, but looking at them in the blood sometimes, especially if insurance is going to cover them. So, looking at progesterone, estradiol, estrone, total estrogens, free and total testosterone. And I mentioned already SHBG, which is sex hormone binding globulin, sometimes FSH and LH, which are the pituitary hormones, follicular stimulating hormone, and luteinizing hormone. And then looking at viruses sometimes. Such as Epstein Barr. And with Epstein Barr, there's four markers. I'm not going to get into detail with the testing, but Epstein Barr, again, there's four markers that you want to look at. One of them is IgM, the other three are IgG. And there are episodes on the podcast where I talk about Epstein Barr, so definitely refer to those. I mean, I don't do an H. pylori blood test. I definitely don't do, recommend into blood, but sometimes I'll recommend a breath test, a urea breath test, or a stool antigen test if someone doesn't do. Uh, let's say a GI map, which is a stool test I commonly recommend. And I don't think I mentioned other viruses like cytomegalovirus, herpes simplex. If someone is eating gluten, if they're not gluten-free, I would recommend getting a celiac panel because once you give up gluten, you can't accurately test for celiac disease. And then sometimes I'll recommend a fatty acid profile. There's a company, OmegaQuant, and they offer an omega-3 index plus test that you could do. They offer three different tests. You could do just a basic omega-3 index, which is better than nothing, but I usually like the middle test. And the top test is like $20, $25 or more. So it's not a huge difference between getting the middle test and the top test. And so let's talk about some of the other tests I commonly recommend. So I recommend with just about everybody adrenal testing. I think looking at the adrenals is important. Sure, you could guess and just give someone some adrenal support. But I found that different adrenal patterns will require different recommendations. I mean, obviously, blocking out time for stress management, eating well, getting sufficient sleep, that's going to be important for any type of adrenal balance. But when it comes to supplementation, I will give certain support depending on the results. And so adrenal saliva testing is something I did when I dealt with Graves' disease, and I still commonly recommend adrenal saliva testing. A big benefit of saliva testing, it looks at the circadian rhythm of cortisol. So cortisol should be at the highest levels in the morning and then gradually decrease at the end of the day, throughout the day. So with blood testing, most people just get a single blood test of cortisol. And so that's not really giving a good idea when it comes to the health of the adrenals. Also, saliva testing usually looks at DHEA, which you can also look at in the blood, but it looks at DHEA, the Company I use looks at 17 hydroxyprogesterone, a marker called secretory IgA, but there's also dried urine testing or Dutch testing, which I've been using now for a number of years. So, dried urine testing also looks at cortisol, the circadian rhythm of cortisol, but then looks at the different hormones and looks at the metabolism of hormones. And you can't look at the metabolism of hormones anywhere else, it has to be in the urine. So, looking at estrogen metabolism could give us. Some value also looks at cortisol metabolism and has other markers too, organic acids, not comprehensive organic acids, but some organic acid markers, melatonin. So I really do like the Dutch test. And if someone is interested in looking at their sex hormones and the metabolism, then I will do this over the saliva test. Otherwise, most of the time I'll recommend saliva testing to look at adrenals. I also like Doing a hair mineral analysis test, this is more controversial. There are some practitioners that completely dismiss this. And I admit that it's not a perfect test. There are some markers I don't pay attention to, like when it comes to minerals, most people have low iron on a hair mineral analysis, and that's not completely accurate. I would never supplement with iron based on the findings of a hair test. That's why I mentioned I always do a complete iron panel. But I do look at some of the markers, and sometimes you could find elevations like high copper, copper toxicity, for example, high manganese is common. And then it looks at some of the toxic metals, aluminum, which is commonly elevated on a hair test, mercury, lead, arsenic, and cadmium. And it's a pretty cost effective test. So that's something also I commonly recommend. So, food sensitivity testing if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I. Don't commonly recommend food sensitivity testing. It's not something I frequently recommend. Although I will say that since 2022, 2022, I've been recommending mediator or release testing when I do recommend food sensitivity testing. Again, not something I recommend across the board, but this can help to identify foods that are causing inflammation that might not be a part of an elimination diet, so it's something that you could argue everyone should get some type of food sensitivity testing. Again, I find the IgG food sensitivity testing to not be completely accurate. Again, is media release testing completely accurate? Well, I don't know if any test is completely accurate, but I think it is more accurate than the IgG testing, but it is expensive. It's an expensive test and I just need to prioritize the testing, which I should have said early on is that it's important to understand that I'm not recommending all of these tests. So again, the blood tests I mentioned are common. Even the ones I mentioned towards the end when it came to the blood tests, I can't say I recommend like cytomegalovirus for everybody and a fatty acid profile. I mean, everything is optional to the person, but some blood testing I recommend, adrenal testing, hair testing, mediator release testing, I can't say I recommend to everyone. Comprehensive stool panel, I commonly recommend. Again, not to everybody. But I do like looking at this test because for those, especially with Graves and Hashimoto's, you need a healthy gut to have a healthy immune system. And again, those are more immune system conditions than thyroid conditions. So this looks at potentially pathogenic bacteria, very comprehensive test for H. pylori. Not only looks at H. pylori, but looks at virulence factors for H. pylori, looks at parasites, yeast, even though stool testing isn't the best test when it comes to yeast. But if someone has... A yeast overgrowth, a candida overgrowth, you definitely want to pay attention to it. If it's negative, then you might want to look elsewhere if you're suspecting uh, yeast overgrowth. And then it looks at other markers, pancreatic elastase, calprotectin, which calprotectin is a marker associated with gut inflammation. But usually it's not elevated unless if someone has a condition such as ulcerative colitis, which is a type of inflammatory bowel disease that like they have to have a lot of inflammation going on. Arguably, most people I work with have some type of gut inflammation, but it's usually not enough to significantly raise the calprotectin. And then organic acids testing. So I mentioned that briefly when talking about the dried urine test, the Dutch test. They have a small organic acid section. But there's a couple of labs, Great Plains Laboratory, Genova Diagnostics, they have more comprehensive organic acids tests. So for example, Great Plains Laboratory, last I checked, it evaluates over 70 urinary metabolites that can help to discover underlying causes of chronic illness. It looks at metabolites associated with intestinal yeast. So again, this is a better test for yeast than the stool test. Also looks at some bacterial markers like clostridia, can provide information on gut dysbiosis neurotransmitter and certain nutrient imbalances, has some mitochondrial health markers, indicators of detoxification, as well as some other valuable information. So I really do like organic acids testing. Sometimes I'll recommend testing for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is a breath test, also known as SIBO, SIBO breath test. So again, this depends on the person. Sometimes I'll test for Lyme disease and other stealth infections. So it really depends. So again, I have a history of chronic Lyme and Bartonella, and I had a few other things show up positive. Some people have Babesia. So again, it depends on the person. It's not like I recommend for everyone to test for Lyme and co-infections. And there are toxin tests. The Great Plains Lab has a test at GPL Tox that I can't say I commonly recommend. Cyrex Labs has their array number eleven, which looks at the immune system reactions, environmental toxins. Again, not something I recommend to most people, but sometimes I'll recommend genetic testing. Still something I don't recommend to everybody. I know there are practitioners that recommend genetic testing to everyone, and maybe eventually I'll reach that point. But as of now, it's not something I recommend to every single person. Sometimes I'll do a life extension as a separate test for MTHFR and COMT, which are common genetic variations that could affect what's called methylation. But again, I can't say I recommend that to everybody. So it really does depend. There are other tests that I haven't mentioned here. These are the ones that are coming to mind. But like I said, I don't recommend all these tests to every patient. But I just wanted to go over some of the more common ones as well as some of the ones that I don't commonly recommend. I mean, there are a lot of great tests there. If everything was free, of course, I'd say, hey, we might as well do everything. But they're not free and they could get quite expensive. So really, my job is to prioritize the tests that people need. So they can make an informed decision. And some people choose to do more comprehensive testing than I recommend. And then there are some people that even if I'm conservative, they might be even more conservative. I recommend two or three tests. They might just do one test to start out with and see what it shows. So obviously, everybody is in a different financial situation, which I understand. And so that is my response to the question. In addition to thyroid panel, what other tests do I recommend to my patients? I hope you found this Q&A episode to be super valuable. And as usual, I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit savemythyroidchecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.